Welcome back to the Content That Grows podcast. I'm excited to be joined today by Emily Kramer. Um, and just to kind of quickly go over what we're going to be going over today, we're primarily going to be discussing improving your homepage and homepage conversion. So if you're not familiar with Emily, um, she is a fund manager and marketer. She's co-founder of MKT1 Capital, which is an early stage B2B fund. Uh, she writes the MKT1 newsletter which has been growing in popularity uh, a lot in the last six months. Um, and she also teaches marketing leadership courses. Uh, prior to all of this, uh, Emily was a marketing executive who built the marketing teams from scratch at Asana, Carta, Ticketfly, which was acquired by Eventbrite, and Astro, which was acquired by Slack. How's it going, Emily? Welcome to the podcast. It's going well. Thanks for, thanks for having me. Yeah, excited to, to dig in today. Um, I think, you know, the the cool thing um, about this newsletter you wrote recently, in the last few months anyway, um, about how to create a more effective homepage uh, seemed to really resonate with a lot of people, really take off. I think you did a good job of distilling down, making some good visuals. I saw a lot shared across social, mm-hmm. uh, but I also feel like it just kind of hit on a topic that um, has become less uh, interesting or... Um, something that people just don't talk about as much. So I feel like maybe just kind of hit a, uh, uh, found an opportunity to avoid uh, for a lot of people that they were wanting some information. So uh, excited to kind of dig into that today. And I would love for you to just kind of start by giving uh, an overview of sort of the core elements of, of that newsletter that you wrote. Yeah, for sure. And I think that this is just like a, it's not just on the content side. I think in general, uh, there's not enough attention paid to people's website. Uh, maybe they spend a whole bunch of money on them, getting them redesigned or, or spend a bunch of money getting copywritten, but it, it often misses the mark. So I feel like there's just not the, the right amount of attention in the right ways is not placed on companies' websites. Like your website is your, I always say it's like your front door. Um, everybody, whether it's a candidate or a, you know, prospect or a customer is like going to come to your web or a partner is going to come to your website at some point in time. So it's kind of funny when people seem to spend more time on, you know, like sales enablement PDFs than their website. I mean, that's maybe an extreme example, but it's so important. Everyone is coming through here, like get it right. And so the, the crux for, um, or the, the reason for the newsletter, like pretty much all of my newsletters come from the fact that I'm working with startups all day um, on building out their marketing function. And in doing this, it's like, what are the things that keep coming up? Or what are the things that I sound like a broken record on and keep explaining? And I felt like I kept explaining like, here's how you redo your homepage. It's not as complicated as you're making it out to be, but you know, but right now it's not working. So that's was the impetus for this. And so I think the number one thing that we all see on websites is you look at the whole thing, and I'm, I'm talking early in growth stage startups here specifically. Um, you look yeah. at the whole thing and you're like, I don't know what this company does. Like, I have absolutely no idea. And like, not only do I not know what this company does, like, I don't know who it's for. And if it's for me, I'm like not 100% sure that that's the case. And so like, what does it do? What does it do? How does it fit in? Is it for me? Why is it better? These things are missing. So there's a fundamental like messaging problem on the websites that I see. And I think um, if you improve the story and the site architecture and you know the, 
the design and actually kind of simplify, refine, make it better, you'll improve your conversion rates. And conversion rate can have a massive impact on your entire funnel. And I also feel like yes. while websites are often forgot about, forgotten about, conversion is often forgot, forgotten about by marketers. And a lot of people talk about it, but then when I actually talk to startups or talk to marketers and I say, what are your goals? Their goals are always drive this number of MQLs. And my comment is, at what conversion rate? Um, I can drive up MQLs that don't convert at all down the funnel all day long, but you need to have kind of a conversion rate threshold there. So you wanna be increasing web traffic, but you wanna be maintaining or improving the conversion rate as well. And so a lot of times, like the, the most low hanging fruit for people is just, you'll get a lot more things down to the, you know, down the funnel if you just improve that website conversion rate. So, um, and then what I kind of cover is, you know, how to make a simple messaging guide. You know, there's so much out there in positioning and messaging, but a lot of it's really abstract and doesn't result in like usable copy on a website. So how do you break this down really simply and have a very simple messaging framework that you can then place on your homepage? I also break down in this newsletter, what are the standard sections you need on your homepage? Like you don't need to reinvent the wheel here. Like you need the same sort of yep. simple set of sections um, nothing too fancy that's going to match up with the messaging guidelines that you've made. Um, and then, um, you know, from there, um, you need to do some things on the, on the technical side to make sure that people can get to your website and when they get there, they convert. So everything from building out sort of landing pages to making sure your, your site is optimized for SEO, um, to making sure your forms work and all of those things as well. So, um, yep. yeah, that's, that's what it, what it covers. And I'm happy to dive into to any of that. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the, the first part is, um, that I'd love to go a bit deeper is I, what I really loved was that um, while you did include some stuff around kind of wireframe and, you know, here's some mm -hmm. core elements that you can include in the homepage, mm -hmm. you didn't jump right into here's the, you know, the ultimate wireframe. It was, let's start with the messaging guide. And yeah. I think that was like uh, really, really critical uh, because I do think that a lot of companies start with the design or the layout. Yeah. Um, and so I'm just kind of curious, like, why do you think that is um, that the companies want to gravitate that way versus uh, working to get the messaging right in the first place? And just generally why, why you think that's important, why you started with it? Yeah, it's interesting. Um, I think what tends to happen is that companies do work on positioning and messaging and they will go out and maybe even outsource some of that or they'll work on it and then they'll be like, what I got back isn't usable or like, I don't know how to even take this guide, which is sometimes many, many pages and actually apply it to anything that I'm doing. So there's like this gap between what was made and is it usable? So I think it's like, how do I connect the dots here? So I always tell people when they're doing anything in marketing, like you have to start with your, by understanding your audience, you have to understand your business model and you're like, you know, go to market motion. And those things are going to have a huge impact on what you're doing. And then you have to nail down some of these foundational pieces. Like what is your basic story? And it doesn't need to be 500 pages. You really need to cover like, what problem do you solve? What exactly is your product? Who is it for? And why is it better? And you need to start there. And that really easily maps to your, to your website. So I guess I kind of think about starting 
any sort of, you know, tactical advice on anything, I think about starting in one of those places. Like you got to have sort of these foundational pieces first. And as far as like design versus copy, which which comes first? I mean, the answer is it's always going to be a back and forth. Like you'll, if you do the messaging and copy first, then you, you know, then the design happens and it doesn't quite fit in. And then you might have to adapt it a little. It is sort of a back and forth and an iterative approach. But in order to plan out like what sections you need, you kind of have to know the copy and sort of content in advance of doing that initial design. Um, So it, it, it's not really a, you can start in either place. Like you really do need to start with what is going to go on here and, and go from there. Yep. Cool. Um, yeah, I, I agree. And it, going back to the, uh, one of the other points you made around like the testing and like the conversion rate and, and some of that, um, kind of like a two part thing here that I'm curious from your perspective, um, and then I'll kind of share some of my thoughts from from my experience uh, as well. But the um, like iterating versus waiting and waiting and waiting and then making a big change. Yep. Um, and then also like the early stage, like uh, well, let's just start with that. Like um, I'll, I'll break it into two. So first, yep. um, kind of how do you how do you typically advise people on? Um, okay, you just you you follow this framework. You did the messaging. You you laid out the homepage. You did it. Um, you know, do you do you advocate for iterating on all of that, or do you typically lean towards like give it more time, let it run for six nine months, and then do a bigger like sweeping change of a bunch of stuff? I think that marketing. I think your marketing website should be your source of truth. I think that means it needs to be updated with your latest messaging with your, you know, the personas you're targeting with all of these things as frequently as those changes happen. And I think what happens is a lot of times that's not the case. And that's because marketing doesn't control the website or it's not built on something like Webflow. And so marketers can't make those changes. So I think, Mm -hmm. you know, marketing has to own the website. Like this isn't a, like, this isn't a, you know, I used to be a marketing lead. I'm like land grabbing. That's, that's not what it is at all. It's like, Marketing needs to own it because they need to be making changes all the time so that it is the source of truth and so that it converts. And it's a living, breathing thing. Now, all that said, you might make some incremental improvements over time. And maybe a lot of those are to copy and content. Maybe that's adding in some new sections or adding in some new pages and then rerouting. And eventually your website, you know, becomes Frankenstein together and doesn't flow well and kind of needs a restart. And so there are times when I think you take the iterative approach and then there are times when you say, like, we've iterated on this so much, it needs a fresh start. And so I think that's, and whether that fresh start means like literally starting again on design or whether it just means like, let's just go back through this whole thing, re-put it back in like a very logical structure and like go through the whole copy and messaging again and making sure it's telling the right story. Like it it can take different forms, but... The key things to point out here is like your website should be built on a platform that marketers can easily update. The most common way to do that right now is Webflow. Some people still use WordPress. Some people are using Framer, which is a newer tool and also happens to rhyme with my last name, Kramer. Um, <laughs> just pointing that out. Whenever I say Framer, yeah. it's like kind of hard to say because I want to say Kramer. Um, yeah, totally. It's a, a per- personal problem. 
uh, unique to me and a few others in the world with the last name. But um, yeah. you know, those are the tools most people are using. And and still, some companies I see will have custom built things or built things on a headless CMS, and that you know tends to be the engineer's preference early on when they're building a website. But you've got to switch it over to being for marketing to be able to do this. And then, you know, as I, as I was saying on the other, on the other stuff, you want to iterate on it, make sure it's your source of truth. And then lastly, you know, when it becomes, when it lacks flow, you got to kind of do a, a, a reset. And so that's how I think about all of that. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. I think, um, I agree that like, yeah, you can't get to that point where there are enough things that are disconnected and just like need a bit of a broader sweep and, and it does warrant the, the full redesign, but I think outside of that, um, I've likened it in the past to kind of like um, when you're managing people and like giving feedback, you don't mm -hmm. want to just like be like, well, we're doing performance reviews in six months. I'll, I'll save it for that. Like you want to do it now. Cause if you wait, then you like have all this stuff that kind of comes out in six months and it's a bigger deal and a bigger mess. But if you could be giving feedback now, doing that along the way. It's iterative. It makes improvements over time. Similarly, there's a lot of things that you shouldn't tee it up because you know, at some point you're going to do a redesign, go ahead and make the copy change or add the section. Yes. Um, yeah. and benefit from it now, learn from it now, like all of that. Um, and if it's not, if it's sorry to interrupt, but like, if it's not a fast enough process for you to be able to iterate on it, then maybe you do need to do that redesign sooner for the purpose of getting it yeah. into a, you know, into something like Webflow that you can easily change. So like, if you're like, I can't make this incremental yeah. update fast enough. So I'm just going to wait for the redesign. It's like, okay, well maybe you need to pull that up. Like, um, yeah. Marketing being unable to update the website easily is almost reason enough for, uh, you know, a reset on the website. Yeah. 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 And I think, I think you see that, I think it's fair. Like you said, like early on, there's, you know, engineer preference for headless CMS or, or whatever it may be. Um, but I, yeah, I think a lot of times it does get to that point where there's a reckon realization like, Hey, we have a team in house. They're capable of managing themselves. We need to like make this change and, and enable them. Mm -hmm. Um, the second part of my earlier question that I split into two, um, to build on that is I think a lot of early stage companies get tied up on, um, they don't want to change it because they don't know if it's going to affect performance. Yeah. So they want to test, like some people start testing very early mm -hmm. and they're like, well, we got to test it. Even if it's like, well, shoot, you're going to be six months in before you get statistical significance on this. Like yeah. just make the change. Just make the change. <laughs> uh, so like, how do you, how do you talk to people about um, when to just be iterative and make the change? Because, Hey, look, you're getting, you know, eight demo requests a month. Like, yeah. There's no point in trying to test this. Like when do you be iterative and when do you start to implement some of the rigor of testing and actually like getting more scientific about it? Yeah. I mean, look, like early on when you don't have very much traffic, when you have like, you know, single digit thousands of visitors a month, like you can't A-B test. I mean, it's just not worth it. Like you got to go on hunch in my opinion. Like it's, it's just not going to be worth it. Like it's going to take you forever to get there. And you know, go on hunch. And if, you know, you start to notice a big change in what's happening, then like go back to it. And I know that's not a perfect AB test because it's different times and different cohorts of people, but like you, you, 
you can't worry about it then. And so, yeah, I think people are like, I need to A-B test everything, or maybe people come from larger companies where that's possible and easy. I mean, we could do rapid fire A-B tests on the Asana homepage, like when I was leaving there, yeah. like rapid fire, like in less than a day in some cases, because we got so much traffic and, and, um, yeah. That's awesome. But I think when people then go to early stage companies where they don't have it, they're like, I should A-B test this. And it's like, some of this you got to go on, like, what's going to better tell your story? What's going to more clearly tell your story? And your A-B tests are actually conversations with customers that either you're having, founders are having, or sales is having with customers on what's resonating. And so, like, that's your testing are these conversations. It's anecdotal. And so you're taking that anecdotal feedback and you're applying it and you're, you know, trusting your gut a little bit. And when you get up to a decent amount of traffic, then you can A-B test things. Yep. Great. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, last piece, I think around kind of the homepage stuff is, uh, I think that your, uh, the layout sort of the wireframe and all the elements that you walk through, mm-hmm. um, I think made a ton of sense and cover it. And I think for a lot of early stage companies, uh, can kind of function as the website. Yes. Um, yes. You know, like it, it does a good job of like the full overview. Mm-hmm. Um, so for very early stage companies, uh, you know, in in both of what you and I do, we, we certainly work with a lot of teams that are a one person marketing team mm-hmm. um, that, you know, they're s- spread across a lot of different things. Mm-hmm. Um, do you typically have a, any sort of, framework or triggers for when you advise like, yeah, let's move beyond the one page website that kind of covers everything and really start to build out feature pages or product pages, solution pages. Like, um, cause I think that's something that I get asked a fair amount, a little bit more from an SEO perspective, but like, yeah. um, just in general, sort of like when, when should I be building out dedicated pages for, for some of this stuff versus just having it on the homepage? Yeah, I mean, this is a classic, like, it depends answer. And here's what I think it depends on. Um, Well, I mean, okay, let me back up for a second. I always think that you need your homepage. I think it's helpful to have an about page that's more focused on candidates. Um, And I think you should have that from the start. And it doesn't take that long to make if you're using a templatized site. You're just, like, reusing some of the sections from the homepage and and modifying them to be about that. And the CTA there is apply for a job. But you don't need to have, like, an about page and a careers page. Just kind of, like you know, do the company story and like open positions all, all there. And then, um, you know, and then obviously like you have your sign up flows and things like that. But when it comes to, do I need other products page product pages or other solutions pages or features pages, it really comes down to me, to me, who, who are you targeting? If you are targeting one distinct audience, like your vertical solution, or you're like using one audience as sort of a wedge in, like you can get away with one homepage. But if you are speaking to multiple distinct audiences, you always want your audience to feel like that page is personalized to them and their needs. So if you can't do that for like, you know, more than 50% of the people coming, like maybe more than 75% of the people coming to the homepage, like you're going to need to make some other pages to route them to. Um, So that's where I often suggest like, you can have a, you know, a three column section on your website that just basically says like, you know, we help these kinds of teams do this thing better. And then it's like marketing and sales and rev ups. And then it leads you to other pages. And then, you know, same thing. You can use those as early landing pages for things like ads. But then from there, like, 
you know, I always think that you should be building your website in a scalable way on a tool that makes that easy, like Webflow, and you should have sections that are then reusable across other pages. So it shouldn't be too difficult to make those other pages. But yeah, if it's just you at the yeah. beginning, you might not need those if you're targeting one audience and you have one clear product and people kind of understand what that product is. I think another key factor of like, do I need multiple pages is what kind of product this is. Is it a replacement product or is it a situation where people aren't even necessarily problem aware and they're maybe not solution aware and they're definitely not aware of what you do? You just might need a few more pages to kind of like yeah. get everyone on the same page about you know where you are. Your homepage might need to be more focused on like making that problem seem really acute and then maybe there's a second yeah. story that's really more product specific. So it kind of depends on like how many stories do you have to tell um, and you know, if your story just becomes so genericized and, and dumbed down to try to fit every audience, it's yeah. probably better to like bifurcate it. I don't know if that helps, yeah, but that's how I think it about it. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, awesome. Well, before we move on, um, anything else you wanted to touch on for, in, in terms of improving homepages and homepage conversion? Yeah, actually a few things. So I think, let me run through a couple of the biggest th mistakes that I see. Um, biggest mistakes that yeah, I see great. are people reinventing the wheel as an early stage startup or even a growth stage startup, start with a Webflow template or have someone build your own, but like there's a standard site architecture, there's standard appearances for top navs, there's standard appearances for, you know, all of these different sections, benefit sections, use case sections, like you can still stand out through your colors, your fonts, maybe your product screenshots. Like, yeah. Okay. Um, you can still stand out through all of those things. You won't look like every site, but there's no need to go crazy on designing new navs and all of that stuff. Like it's not going to be worth it. There might be some exceptions where it makes sense to have just like a really crazy brand new design homepage if that's somehow tied to what you do. But in the vast majority of instances, follow the standard site architecture section design and add flair or differentiation through your words, through your illustrations, through your photography, through your screen, like whatever it might, your screenshots, whatever it might yep. be. The other thing here that I see all the time, which is a huge mistake, is early growth stage companies copying late stage private or public companies, copying <laughs> companies that are much larger yep. than you. Like, oh, we're a fintech company. Let's yep. copy Stripe's website. Like, here's the thing about Stripe. Everybody knows who they are. I mean, not everybody, but like, you know, everybody in a general audience, in the general audience, or general tech audience knows who they are and like has some sense of what they do. And they don't need to explain that up front. You as an early stage startup, people right. don't know what problem you're solving. They don't know what you are. They don't know who you're for and they don't know why you're better. And so you have to explain all of those things. And if you look to later stage startups or public companies, you're going to see um, more variation in how they're doing nav and how they're separating out pages. One, because they have the time and ability to get that right. And two, probably because a lot of it's like they just kept adding things to their website and it's not even in a good, doesn't even have good site architecture. So yeah, from, a, from a story perspective, a design perspective and a site architecture perspective, you can't, you can't copy um, companies that are eight stages ahead of you or even four stages ahead of you. Stay you know, look for inspiration from companies that are in your lane. Um, so, or in your stage. Um, so that's like a huge one. The other big mistake I see early on is just shipping your pitch deck, I call it. And that's founders have often 
really refine their story for investors in their pitch deck. And then I'll see their website and it's using that same story. And that story is for investors and it tends to be more vision focused, more like long-term focused and doesn't necessarily hit on the immediate pain of like the buyer today. And so if you're working closely with a founder, or if you are a founder, or if you're you know a marketer that's taking a founder's story, be very aware of this, don't ship your pitch deck. I see it all the time. Yep. Um, yep. Again, rare instances where you can ship your pitch deck. At Carta, we targeted investors for some of our products. Like we could probably ship our pitch decks, the same, th- same audience, sure. but it's not yep. the same audience, it's not the same message, it's not the same level of message. And so I see that a lot too. Um, yep. And then the last thing I see, Sorry, there's so many homepage mistakes, but a lot of them are in <laughs> no, my I, in Those my are posts. all great so far. Keep going. The, the last one is just really janky um, conversion flows. So like really janky sign-up forms um, or like sign-up forms you can't measure because they're a pop-up or that are just confusing or that don't give you any context or like way too many CTAs on the homepage. Like you need to make a crisp and clear flow that explains why you're better for people to walk through. Um, you can use lead enrichment tools, you know, like yeah. Clearbit, et cetera, and like Chili Piper to route leads to the right place. Like there's all of these tools available to just have a simple experience that doesn't have 95,000 fields um, and like makes sense and has like a nice thank you after you schedule a meeting or sign up or whatever it is that has some more context. Like, yep. like pay attention to that piece. I feel like people just do their whole website and then they're like, oh, we got to make those conversion, like those inner pages. And then they never walk through the experience again because they don't have to because they're already like signed up. Correct. It's just it, they forget about it. So a couple of things there, and then we can move on to our other questions, Nate. Um, as your team scales, or if it's already scaling, and maybe this is less so right now because there's not a lot of hiring happening. But one of the things I would make new hires on my team do would always be go through our entire website and tell us what's broken, like from copy mm-hmm. to flows. Like give us your impression because you have fresh eyes and you haven't done it before. Go th- and that just kind of you know, meant that there was a certain cadence to that. Go through the onboarding flow if it's a self-serve product, like when I was at Asana, um, and then go through some of our most popular blog posts and see if there's ways you can improve them. So I like to, it's just like a great starter project too for anyone that comes in to get them up to speed and to check on these things with some regularity. Um, If you're not hiring a bunch of new people, then it's like, you know, at least quarterly, but maybe monthly, there's something you always go back and kind of give it the once over. Um, So... Don't forget yeah. about those conversion flows. Is my, is my. Uh, oh yeah, big. I, I think thing it's. There. Um, yeah, I, I appreciate that. I think it's huge, and even you know to the point where, um, you know, I think we, you know, a few years into my time at Sprout, we were routinely at least once a month testing sign up from you know desktop, mobile. Chrome, Safari, because you know, like every browser is updating constantly. You have stuff being pushed. You have global style stuff happening. Like there's all kinds of things that happen um, on a regular basis. And for quite a long time, the sign up flow, which is common, was inside of the uh, you know, is in the app. So you also have like part of your sign up process is outside of marketing's domain and it's into engineering where it can be prone to other right. issues and yeah um, for PL- for so plg like especially you... right for like you know usually if yes. it's sales driven like you own it as the marketing team the sales team has some influence on yes. it but yeah in a plg product 
That is why onboarding and sign up tends to be such a bad experience because it is kind of co-owned by two teams. And whenever things are co-owned or have unclear owners or sort of gray areas or require cross-team collaboration, they usually are not given the right treatment. It's like those areas are like, it's always like find those areas as a company where there's overlap or unclear ownership and fix those because those are probably your weakest, your weakest areas. Yes, it's also like absolutely. pricing and packaging pages and pricing and packaging in general often a mess because it requires a ton of cross-team collaboration and like kind of gets pushed aside or forgotten about or or I don't know gets too many people are looking at it or whatever the problem might be. So those areas of overlap tends to be the problem between yeah. teams. Yeah, and I yep absolutely. And I would say the only um, mistake I, I agree with every mistake you listed. The only one I would add I think is. Um, designing and testing exclusively on desktop devices. Yes. Um, Yes. That's, and you know, and like, not like the, the leaving the mobile, uh, responsiveness to just kind of whatever is default, um, versus recognizing that one, like, regardless, you are getting a good amount of, of traffic from a mobile perspective. So how it reads, how it flows, how it interacts, all that, but then also, you know, mobile first indexing from a search perspective, like there's a lot of, of that from like, you know, you common to see that speed scores and everything are, are great on desktop and terrible on mobile uh, because it's just, that is not how people think. Designers design on giant monitors. Yep. Looks good, gets coded out. And yes, it's technically responsive, but nobody's like taking the time to really uh, navigate through that with fresh eyes. So I think that yeah. would be the only one I would add to what you, it's, you shared. It's the areas where like you aren't, sort of dog fooding your own marketing. That's more of like a product term, but you're not, you know, like I'm not editing my company's website on my phone. Like I'm not going through the conversion flow when I look at it. So like those things tend to be forgotten about. Yeah. So you definitely have to test it on, on, on mobile and not forget about that. And sometimes even have a different conversion experience on mobile. Um, some people aren't going to like request a demo that way and fill out a bunch of fields. So is it better to get them to download content on a mobile and then hit them that way? That's a, you know, test you can do. Like there's, there's things like that too, that maybe the experience needs to be different depending on what your product is and and all that. Yes. Um, totally agree. Um, cool. Well, yeah, I appreciate everything on that. Um, and I wanted to shift over and kind of go through, uh, like final four. Um, so not necessarily like a full, like rapid fire one word answers, uh, but yes, yeah, just kind of like quickly move through these last four and then we'll, we'll wrap up. Um, so first would just be like any sort of, um, you know, uh, with, with you or with portfolio company or anyone you're advising, like, um, just any sort of like recent success or, or learning, uh, that you think would be interesting to share. Yeah. I really like, um, data reports reports of any kind as marketing content. Um, and -hmm. I like it for a lot of reasons, but, um, I, you know, I think people like those things. They like benchmarks, they like reports, they like numbers. And I also think those things are very reusable. So I often talk about when you're producing content, you want to make sure you can get mileage out of the content or reuse it in lots of different ways. So these tends to be, you can do big reports. You can call out and do a blog post on one of the stats that's in that big report. You can then put those stats on your website. But um, an example that I really liked recently is from a company we've invested in called Pocus. Um, They're a product-led sales platform 
you know, showing you data of who who's actually using your product, and you can then use that mm-hmm. to sell into them. And they recently put out a um, product-led sales benchmark report, um, which is just like, you know, here's an example. Um, 86% of the companies in their survey offer a free trial or a freemium low-cost entry point product. Um, 52% of sales are conducting outbound to product-qualified leads. So basically, they did all of this through through a survey. Um, and then they have this report, and then they're breaking out individual pieces and all of that stuff. But what's also great is they worked with partners to get this survey filled out. Um, so of course I'm blanking on exactly who their partners were, but they worked with other companies in yeah. similar in in a, in a similar space with a similar target audience, um, but you know obviously not competitors to do this. And so that really helped get yep. the word out to get the survey filled out. And then also they had built-in distribution partners when they did release this thing. So I think you know yep. these cool. kinds of projects can seem like huge tasks um, or be like we don't have data for this, but surveys can work really well. And surveys when you do them with partners work even better and have that built-in distribution. So. When I tell, I think this has a lot of the things I tell people to think about when they're thinking about sort of big bet, high impact content. It's one, is there like a distribution plan sort of built in? Um, And in this case, yes, it's the partners and it's the people who filled out the survey. Two, like, is it net new information? Does it add value? And like, yes, it does in this case. And can it be, you know, mixed up, repurposed, um, you know, chopped into pieces, put out again, and and um, get get mileage out of it. And so this has all of those all of those elements. And then obviously, does it ladder up to your overall story and really like connect with the message yes. you're trying to put out there? And they're trying to put out this message that product led sales or sort of hybrid self serve top down business models are becoming the norm in in uh, in B two B. And this survey is directly you know, uh, showing that. So it's got all, it's got all the right pieces. Um, so that's one that, that really stands out to me recently. Yep. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then for, um, MKT one or, mm-hmm. you know, again, sort of companies you're advising companies you've been at mm-hmm. kind of up to you, how you would like to answer this, but just, um, you know, kind of your perspective on the role that content um, plays in the overall strategy. So obviously you just kind of talked about, um, data being one big part of that, but, or sort of the yeah. data reports, but data reports. content overall. So, you know, not yeah. just blog content, um, you know, everything kind of the role you think that plays. Yeah. I mean, I think people, I think companies that I see or companies that I at least advise or work with, um, that I've invested in are getting more savvy to like templates and utilities and like lead magnets and putting out things that are impactful and not just putting out blog posts after blog posts, um, I know you all are focused on the SEO side. So in some situations you have to do blog posts after blog posts for that, but like, what else can we put on here? How can we really add value? What are those tools? And I think that's exactly what we do at MKT one. So our newsletter, um, we really do, or we really write like big deep dives into certain topics. Like they're not short posts, they're long posts, they're once a month, but they're really long and they really cover things in a deep way. And then for paid subscribers, we have a template or two or some asset that goes along with it. So we did a post on contractors and agencies and then for paid subscribers, they get a list of all of our recommended contractors and agencies. Of course, 10 speed is on that list, Um, but um, it's things like that, right? And so we're following the advice that we're putting out there. Um, and I think the other thing to learn just from sort of from what we're doing is we're not trying to cover every single content type. 
Like, I'm not trying to write this, like, I know that our sweet spot is writing posts that mix strategy and tactics that are deep dives on things that apply to both founders and marketers. And like, I'm sticking to what is working for us. Um, and then adding in these templates yep. and other things to make it, you know, convert and things like that. So, um, so I think two yep. things there. One, like content isn't just blog posts. Two, um, yep. uh, two, like, Find your your lane. Find your story, and like once that's working, like you know, make it work. <laughs> um, so don't try to do everything that everyone else is doing, and definitely don't try to do everything that your competitor is doing because you won't stand up. Do your thing well. Right. Right. Yep. Totally agree. Um, cool. And then um, you know, again, similarly, kind of choose the example you would want to give for this, but like. Um, I, like how do you define or like recommend define if it's, you know, not your company success, you know, for, uh, marketers and, and, and the marketing team. Um, cause I think a lot of companies view success differently. Some have short-term view, some have long-term view. So love kind of your perspective on yeah. just kind of how you define success. Yeah. So I think of marketing as both a short, uh, should be gold on both like short-term and long-term revenue. Like you're, you're, trying to help sales or, you know, if it's a product led growth motion, like trying to help for, get product upgrades or sales, like in that quarter, in that unit of time. But like, you're also trying to like prime the pump for the future. And so a lot of times when marketing is only gold on like pipeline for this quarter, like you're missing a whole piece of what marketing does, which is like sets things up for the long term. And so you have to have some goals around that as well and whether that's just like web tra traffic or content views or or content conversion or something like that you have to have more than just quarterly like pipeline goals i also think that marketers should have goals for um projects and tests and things like that too so it's just not the same as sales like the the measurement of success cannot be the same as sales which is just did you hit your quota this quarter it's are you setting things up right. setting us up for long-term success in the future are you doing things that are helping improve full funnel helping improve conversion rates for both sales but also maybe for customer success for upgrades so it's just a, a more like needs to be a more holistic and comprehensive approach to measuring success and i think that the best marketing teams have amazing goals that aren't just kpi goals or aren't just even like conversion rate goals to or kpi plus conversion rate goals they're also like project specific yeah. goals and test specific goals and and things like that and so um it's more complicated to measure the success of marketing that doesn't mean you shouldn't try to do it another you know try to measure these things but a lot of it is going to come down to um goal setting and i think in some ways it's kind of like measuring the success of a product team like eventually there are product engagement metrics mm -hmm. but until you get there there's milestones that you hit and shipping things and like shipping things and getting some beta testers into it. And like they're, you know, sometimes they're building yeah. products that are going to launch next week. And sometimes they're like building the foundation for products that are going to launch in a year. And so it's much more like measuring the success of a product team than measuring the success of a sales team. And I think that's misunderstood yeah. because sales and marketing are often coupled in how you talk about them. Absolutely. Totally agree. Um, awesome. And then last one is just what's your least favorite marketing conversation that's happening on social channels right now and why? Oh, you know, it can go from my, it might've gone from my most favorite to my least favorite as quickly as, or, or, you know, really, really fast. But yeah, it's just like, uh, will, you know, will AI take over content marketers jobs? Like, um, yeah, I, I, you know, like, yeah. 
some <laughs> of the job will go away, like some of the more yeah. churned out pieces of content, but like net new ideas and deep thinking and things that really like aren't derivative of things that already exist. Like there will be plenty of room for that, maybe even more because everything will become so boring and formulaic. And so, you know, I think it's right. kind of yep. separates out the people that are writing good things and we'll take the boring rote stuff and, and kind of that will, that will kind of go away. Um, or maybe your first draft of really good content can come from something like this, but yeah, the, the whole like doomsday style of that conversation or like people that don't even really understand yep. the technology, like weighing in on it. It's just, you know, I think we're all getting a little tired of that. So, um, you yeah. know, there'll be some other hype cycle sometime soon that will seem interesting at first and then fall into the same category. But, um, yes. yeah, if you, Yep. Follow good content marketing practices and you're writing things that actually add value to your audience. Like your job's not going anyway anytime soon. Yeah, absolutely. Yep. Yeah. I think we, we're in full agreement. Our yeah. recent recent podcast episode was trying to just have a much more sane and balanced view on that. You know, it's like, yeah. it's not, you know, it's, it's not one end of the spectrum or the other. It's not, you know, I think we yeah. called it the hype machine. Um, yeah, it's definitely that phase so totally agree i have those bunch of that stuff muted on twitter and just trying to to get through this wave um i need to get more but, ruthless in my uh, uh twitter yeah, i need to so I, I, oh i was just saying i need to get more ruthless in my twitter muting maybe that'll be a, a goal yeah, this helps. week i know uh, i mute some stuff but like i could go yeah. more aggressive there and i think <laughs> you know um maybe that would be helpful yeah um Awesome. Well, this has been a great conversation. I uh, would love for you to just kind of quickly tell everyone uh, you know, about the where to find the newsletter and where to mm -hmm. follow you, kind of anywhere else they would love to, to connect with you. Yeah. So newsletter is newsletter.mkt1.co. Those are all just the letters. Um, MKT1. Um, I guess there's a number in there too. Those are letters and numbers. Um, or our yeah. newsletter is also <laughs> on Substack, it's just the MKT1 newsletter. Um, and then on Twitter, personally, I'm at Emily Kramer, just my name. Um, LinkedIn, same thing, slash in, slash Emily Kramer. Um, yep. Uh, MKT1 Capitals, also on Twitter at MKT1 Cap. Um, and I tend to post more on LinkedIn than Twitter, but you know, follow me either place. And um, yeah, I guess the other things I do is I also teach courses on Maven. Um, especially for marketing yep. leaders at early stage companies. I teach a quarterly five week long cohort based course on like kind of everything you need to know to be a well-rounded early or growth stage marketing leader. It's a lot of fun. Um, one's going on right now. There'll probably be a new one in May. Um, and cool. yeah, that's, that's pretty much it. Awesome. Great. Um, well, yeah, I appreciate you coming on today. Um, for anyone else uh, listening, certainly can check out, um, show notes and more information as well as other episodes at tenspeed.io slash podcast. Uh, follow and subscribe on you know, Spotify, Apple, anywhere else that you uh, consume podcasts. And uh, that's it for us today. So thanks a lot, Emily. It was, it was a great chat. I appreciate you coming on. Thanks, Nate, for having me. I appreciate it. <laughs>